one. Well, welcome to today's episode of InfoSec Journeys. Ashley and I are super excited today to be joined by AJ Yorn, someone who is a cybersecurity enthusiast with a very rich background in information security. Um, someone who's very popular on social media, especially LinkedIn, talks about uh, information security mindset, uh, skills, abilities, all the rest of it, which we're, we're super excited to explore uh, further with you. Uh, and also peel back your, um, your kind of mindset with respect to your career history. Uh, you have a very interesting and unique InfoSec journey that we're keen to explore today, AJ. So why don't I throw it over to you for a brief introduction, tell us who you are and, and what you're all about. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, appreciate it, Colin and Ashley, the opportunity to speak with you all today. Um, so I'm AJ Yan. Uh, I'm living here in Miami, Florida. Uh, so weather is great for me most of the time of the year. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Southern California, um, so I'm used to good weather, I guess, um, throughout my whole life. But um, I'm working now, and I've been working in the cybersecurity industry for a little bit over a decade, some of that time in the U.S. Army and another time in cybersecurity consulting. Um, and spending a lot of my time lately now just giving back. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of this industry. Um, so spending a lot of time volunteering as, as board members and doing a lot of mentorship, and then we'll dive into the the long part of my journey here um, in, 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 this, in this conversation, but um, really, you know, just passionate about cybersecurity and passionate about getting more people into cybersecurity. I think it's an exciting field, a growing field. Um, so anytime I can talk about it and um, opine on cloud security and cybersecurity stuff, I'm excited. So, so thank you for the opportunity. It's no problem. Um, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. So what is what is the current day? What does it look like for you? What's AJ's day at the moment, you know, professionally? Yeah, um, so the most important thing for me professionally is my kids. Um, I'm a father. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So um, my day oftentimes starts with me trying to make sure I wake up before them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. waking up with uh, kids uh, talking to you as you're still wiping you know your eyes isn't a great experience so um, you know I try to wake up before them to get my day started which involves working out and, and meditation as well which I think has been very helpful for me in the information security field which we can um, we can definitely get into um, and then from a professional standpoint um, you know, it's a lot of time giving back. Like I said, I'm, I'm working on a, a sort of a secret project right now, um, but I'm also doing a lot of mentorship and, and a lot of time volunteering my time to, to talk with people that are getting into the industry as well as um, helping organizations. And, and I, I've, I've had the luxury of um, being able to uh, grow pretty fast in my career and, and learn a lot. So um, I figured there's nothing better than giving away my knowledge. Um, and that's really what I've been spending this last few months doing during this coronavirus pandemic is, is spending time and giving knowledge to either companies or individuals and just and sharing as much as I can. Um, so it's a lot of time doing that and a lot of time playing with AWS. I, I really love the cloud um, and, I, and I love exploring and, and doing laboratory lab experiments and things like that. So um, I'll spin up an AWS environment and, and try to play with a new service. Just yesterday I was working on some um, remediation using Security Hub, which is a pretty cool service that I, I hadn't had a chance to play with. So um, a lot of experimenting and a lot of time with my children um, as, as they've been home for, for the past six months or so. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, waking up, I don't think I've ever woken up before my children, to be honest uh -huh. with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, never. Um, so you, you, you put some really, there was some really good in, um, comments you made there about meditation that's helped you through cybersecurity so is that what is that what's sort of motivating you is that you know that meditation phase or 
you know what's it for yeah um it's really just to the whole thing about meditation and, and what you're doing while you're meditating is being present in the moment um and trying to strip away everything else that's going on in your life everything that you're thinking about and just really focus on being there in the moment and i think the act of doing that and, and starting my day that way allows me, um, as you're going through this field and dealing with all the technology that we deal with, it can be overwhelming. Um, it can it can be can over can, it can be consuming as well to where you're like, there's so much to learn, there's so much to do. And as a cybersecurity professional, um, we have to be right 100% of the time because we're trying to protect systems. A a bad actor or a hacker only has to be right once. Um, so if you think about that pressure where they have an unlimited chances to get it wrong and we have a very small window where if we make one mistake, it's, it's pretty big. So there's a lot of pressure in this industry. So meditation for me helps to keep me centered, um, help me keep me focused on um, just being in the moment and, and keep my mind clear. Um, it, it's, uh, it's been a helpful practice. I haven't been always great at it. I, I think I really started meditating consistently. Um, probably about a year ago. Um, and there's sometimes where I'll go to meditate and I literally cannot stop thinking about something else. <laughs> I'll spend 10 minutes just thinking about other things. So um, the cool thing about it is it's a practice. If you ever hear somebody talk about meditation, they don't say that they're, um, they're, they're like an expert in meditation. They just say they do meditation practice because every single time you do it, you're just re you're, you're practicing again and you're trying to get into that moment. And I think um, staying present in the moment is helpful, whether it's cybersecurity or really in any aspect of life, you know, as a parent, um, it's really helpful for me to stay present in the moment and, and um, you know, lock in on whatever I'm doing, whether it's with my kids in the, in the industry or um, elsewhere. Cool. I mean, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Kind of some insights there. Um, so, you know, you, you know, you mentioned having children like myself and Colin, and one of the things that I, you know, I found, you know, having two young children is, is actually getting that self-study um, in outside of work because you have, you know, you have those children to also look after and that other responsibility. So how have you, how have you kept knowledgeable or what how have you, how have you done that with two children and life and a partner and, you know, everything else you've got going on? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard, but I, um, there's a few things, um, few reasons why I think a lot of people think that, um, I'm this overly motivated or determined person, but a lot of it is me trying to like fight my own insecurities. Like I, I know, I want to make sure that I know as much as possible. Um, and I'll just keep studying and learning until I do. Um, and it's because I want to make sure that I can be educated about what I'm speaking. Um, but it's hard to, uh, to do that with all the things you said with work, with kids, with, um, making sure that you're, you're being a good spouse, um, making sure that you actually have a life outside of this stuff. Um, all of these different things that, that ma actually matter, um, you have to make sure that you, you, you kind of carve it out. And I've, um, my military background and my dad was in the Marine Corps for 20 years as well. So I've always been around the military and always been around this structured lifestyle um, where you plan things and you, and you, you execute on your plan. So I'm very calendar driven. Um, I, if I put it on the calendar, I'll do it. Um, and if I don't put it on the calendar, chances are it won't get done, no matter how many times I talk about it or who I talk about it with. Um, so a lot of times it's just scheduling it. And one technique that um, I'm definitely happy to share that I've um, leveraged that has helped me a lot, it's called the 90-91 technique. And what you do is for 90 days, you spend the first 90 minutes of your day just accomplishing one thing. Um, and if you do that for 90 days straight, where you don't focus on anything else, you don't do email, you don't do Slack, you don't do anything, don't do LinkedIn, none of that. You just spend the first 90 minutes of your day focused to get one thing done. 
Um, the amount of things that you get done in a 90 day time frame is ridiculous. Um, cause if you think about it, 90 minutes is a pretty, pretty long time. Um, it's a pretty decent amount of time to get something done or at least make significant progress on something. And being able just, again, it goes back to the meditation idea of you focus, you get present and you lock in on one thing for one short period of time, you get over 90 days. That's a lot of time that you spent just focusing and accomplishing on one thing and you get a lot done. And I found that I've been able to, another thing is, you know, I wake up before my kids, so I'll work out, I'll meditate and then I'll get my 90 minute window in. And before my kids woke have woken up, I've worked out, I've meditated and I've got something done for my day. Um, and it's like 7.30 in the morning. Um, which is, it's, it's huge. It's a great way to start the day. So I think and a lot of times I focus my education and upkeep on studying and reading in the morning time. That's, that's usually where I spend most of my time because by about 2 p.m. my brain's not really working that great anymore. Um, I kind of deteriorate as the day goes along yeah. mentally. So um, it's, it's about scheduling it and then kind of setting that, that scheduled plan to get stuff done. So do you get up at 7.30 or are you done by 7.30? Yeah, so I'm done by 7.30. I'm usually up wow. by about 5. Um, yeah, nice. yeah, somewhere between 4.50 and, and 5 a.m. I try to wake up. I've, I've tried to get – and that, that back to the military, you know, we, we had to wake up every day um, early mm -hmm. to do physical fitness. Um, and, and, and that was uh, something that you just – you become a robot sort of. You just wake up and you feel weird if you're not up that early. So uh, it's been helpful to keep that up even after I left the military. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a captain in the military, right? And I, um, I, I worked for a major American bank a few years ago, and I, and I found actually there was quite um, a strong influence in information security from uh, from people who'd worked in the military, veterans, ex-military personnel, etc. Um, and the kind of mentality and the frameworks and and the mindset that those people brought to the, the same kind of structure in, in information security was was um really beneficial to grow in and develop in the maturity of the business but i don't see that if i'm honest with you i don't see that an awful lot in the uk or outside of the us i think the us really does that a lot is that is that kind of what you see as well or? yeah i think um there's been a big push for veterans into cybersecurity just because of current veterans in cybersecurity. Um, I think we just keep reaching back because we see that what you just described, a lot of the skills that we're learning, and, it, and it, I think it really goes back to leadership and problem solving. In cybersecurity, whether you're an analyst or whether you're the CISO, you're in a leadership position in the organization because of how important cybersecurity is. So you have to be comfortable um, being able to tell someone that may be at a higher level than you or in a different position than you or in a different department. You have to be comfortable going to them um, as, a cyber, as a SOC analyst, like, hey, I saw this pop up, what's going on? And most of the time, military members are okay doing that, um, especially in the U.S. military, because we've had to do that for a very long time. You start your military career with someone screaming in your face um, and, and telling you that you're you're, you're, you have to start from nothing and you become very humble and you're able to stand up for yourself and look someone in the eye and say, this is what's going on and, and, and be very clear and direct. And I think those leadership skills translate well to cybersecurity. And in cybersecurity, all we're doing is problem solving, um, whether that's you're on the defensive side or the offensive side. You're solving problems and, and the problems are evolving daily. And I think in the military, that's what we did as well. Um, we were constantly solving problems, whether that's personnel or, or whatever mission we were on. Um, so the skills translate very well um, from the U.S. military into cybersecurity. But I think the big push and the more folks we see in the U.S. military um, in the cybersecurity industry is because of this um, camaraderie and the network of veterans mm -hmm. that can 
try to pull up other veterans, which is great to see. Like I, I I've been pleasantly surprised um, on through LinkedIn of how many veterans give back um, and and help other veterans get into the field and how helpful other veterans are. Um, when I was getting out of the army, I went back recently to look at all the messages I was sending to people um, four years ago, to different veterans, and I was. Um, I didn't even realize it at this time, but I was talking to heads of security at Apple, heads of security at Equifax, and they were just responding to me and having conversations with me. And I didn't even realize who they were coming out of the military. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that these were like high positions. I was just like, hey, this guy was in the army. I'm in the army. Let's talk. Um, and they just talked to me and helped me out. And I go, I went back and looked at the messages. I'm like, wow, this is a, it's a true fraternity. It's a true brotherhood. And when they see some, they see this field um, that you can get into pretty, it, the, the barrier to entry, I think, in cybersecurity, it seems high, and we can talk about the, the, the hiring stuff, but um, I think it's actually not that high if you do the right things, if you get pursue the right certifications, if you network with the right people, you can actually get into the field. Um, and the military helps facilitate a lot of that training as well. A lot of those certifications are paid for. There's training available for people to get those certifications, so it's a lot easier to take um, spend some time as you're getting out of the U.S. military and dedicate six to nine months to learning about tech and, in, and investing in yourself and in programs, which which helps you be successful when you get out. That's cool. I, I, I never knew that the U.S. military did. Um, do you think that is a um, they they've seen what the 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 Israeli military do and see how how well that they've trained their their force in cyber defense and how you know the amount of people that go from the Israeli military into cybersecurity is quite high. Um, so I, I can see what you know why they're doing that. Um, do you think because of your army background, um, entering into cybersecurity has been maybe not easier for you, but the the mindsets that are required by hiring managers you already have because of your background? Do you think that do you think that's why it is? Um, you know, because what I'm trying to figure out is. If someone that hasn't been in the military wants to go for the same role as you, do you have a natural advantage over them? Yeah, I think um, it, it would depend on that their experiences, but I think the advantage for military members is is is, is that it's the experience. It's you're able to take being in a really tough position, um, really tough situations, and figure out a way, figure out a way to get through it, and you have these. These, these critical skills that are only developed by being in hard situations um, that you can't really teach. You can't really teach, um, you know, navigating a how to go tell um, the CEO or the colonel that he's locked out again. Um, and, he's, and, he, and, he, and the reason that he's locked out is because click that phishing link. Um, <laughs> you, that is a tough conversation if you've never had to do that before. Um, and it's a tough thing to get through um, if you've never had to do that before. And I think there's so many more. That's a very, you know, um, basic example, but there's so many things that you experience in the military that you're able to um, display in an interview with a hiring manager and you're able to um, share. I think the, the first job that I that I got at when I got out of the military as a cybersecurity consultant, I only met, I think, two out of the five requirements on the job description. Um, I, uh, I think I had uh, the CISSP and um, uh, I think a degree was the other one that I met. Um, the, the years of experience, the actual knowledge in a certain framework, I didn't have any of that. But the conversation that I had with the hiring managers, I talked a lot about my leadership experience. I talked a lot about my problem solving skills. Um, he was also an athlete, so we talked a lot about sports. Um, so there's a lot of things. So to so your point, to your question, Ashley, I think 
you know, not necessarily a natural advantage of if you're in the military and you're not. I think it's how do you communicate your experiences to show some of these skills that are important in cybersecurity, problem solving, critical thinking, um, having initiative. I think that's one of the biggest things in cybersecurity because of uh, how technologies change so often. You have to have initiative. You have to be willing to go out and learn new things without somebody telling you. And that's something that military members have to have often because um, it's a part of your training process where you're just told, hey, go figure this out. Um, and you don't get a lot of advice or guidance. It's just go figure it out. Um, and that's a, you know, that happens in cybersecurity. I think um, you have to figure a lot of things out without a lot of guidance or, or, um, or advice. Um, so those skills translate. But I don't think it's, it's uh, proprietary to the military. Um, everyone has these skills. And a lot of times I talk with people and they don't realize that skills from other fields translate very well into cybersecurity. Um, and you just have to kind of peel it out and figure out what it, what those skills are and, and demystify what cybersecurity is. And, and your degree um, was a Master of Science in Technology Management, right? So how did that, I'm, I'm keen to know how that kind of translated into the real world as well. I mean, um, I, I I guess I often see job specifications with a degree as a requirement, but actually they, they don't specify what the degree is in. So you can have a degree in, in one field, but actually you're working in a completely different field. Where, where is, is there something, is there a disparity between academia and what real life InfoSec is? I think there is. Um, so my master's, this is, this is a great question. Um, so my bachelor's degree um, is in social science, which I, I really can't tell you what I, I studied. Yeah. <laughs> or people at Florida State won't want to hear this, but I was an athlete, so um, you know it was a different experience for me. I'll just say that academically, um, yeah. and, and uh, that was my degree. That was my undergraduate degree, um, and I didn't have the master's in technology management when I first um, landed the cybersecurity consulting job. So to your point, having the degree with the check block, not what the degree is in. Um, the reason I pursued my master's was because I realized. I don't check the block of having a technical degree if I want to move up and elevate myself in, in careers and reach um, higher, higher level positions. So I was like, let me go get a master's that actually says that I have this academic block check of being in the technology industry because I was like, that's the one thing missing from my resume. And one of the things I, I, I have done in my career, and I think it's, it's valuable to share, is um, I, I think about um, myself or my resume being in the pile. And I'm like, what can you do to stand out from, to take yourself in this pile and put yourself in this pile? So it's like, get a cert. So now I'm in this pile of, now I'm an army guy with an AWS cert. And there's not, there's a few of us there. And then it's like, okay, now get a master's. Now I'm an army guy with an AWS cert and a master's. You keep getting the pile smaller and smaller and try to just keep shipping away to where, you know what, I may not be the best candidate, but I'd rather be making the decision between one out of five people instead of one out of 200 people that also have the same cert give myself a little bit of a better chance. So the master's was solely for that. It was to, it was literally to check the block. Um, luckily, I went to a good school. I went to Georgetown University and I actually learned a lot. Um, it was actually really valuable and because they had a lot of instructors that were from the industry. So one of our instructors worked at Deloitte um, and he taught us federal IT consulting and that was his job. He was literally running their federal IT consulting practice. So our projects, our lessons were from real world experiences that he was going through. Um, which was really cool. And, and I took a few system requirements, software requirements classes, which really helped me understand how to evaluate um, DevOps and change management and compliance assessments because I went into the nitty gritty of like actually what goes in before we even get to development, what goes into like the system requirements, what goes into those conversations and I learned that. So um, it was valuable, but you know, I, 
if if it comes down to it and I, somebody's like, if I'm starting out in InfoSec and I, should I go get a degree or should I go get some certs and get active on LinkedIn? I'm going to say get some certs and get active on LinkedIn. Um, mm. Because by the time you finish that degree, um, stuff you learn may be outdated. It's solely based on the quality of the program and who those professors are. And you can probably go land a job and have the, your, your company pay for your degree. Um, instead yeah. of you pocket um, and because these degrees are expensive and if we had seen anything during COVID is they're going to continue charging the same amounts despite not having the same resources available um, so I don't know if it's a great investment right now to to invest all of that money um, into into getting the degree I think with colleges people think about college and university as you're getting some education out of it but I think that's like one of the, the, the smallest things you're actually getting from the school the network is really important the resources that you get if you're actually leveraging the resources. That's one thing I did at Georgetown that I definitely didn't do at Florida State was I went and talked to the career teams. I went and used their writing departments. I went and talked to professors' office hours and built relationships. And I think if you do that, the four years at a university is worth it um, because the relationships that you come out of there are going to help you be successful. But if you solely go to college to learn about cybersecurity, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to actually learn that much. Yeah, I can, I can imagine if you, if you applied the mindset, the 1991 uh, mindset, whilst you're at university, right, during those office hours, if you're doing one thing, you've got 90 minutes and you're smashing that relationship networking building, the amount of hours across four years is just astronomical. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear about. So what was the, so when you, when you kind of transitioned and made the leap, right, you, you joined Coalfire, a cybersecurity consultant, um, what, what, what did you think? What was your first impressions of the, of the landscape of information security? Was it like, oh shit, this is, I should not have made this move. Well, actually this is a whole opportunity here for me to come and explore and learn. At first I was overwhelmed. It was like, have you ever seen a teaching a kid to swim? Um, and that <laughs> is kind of savage. And he just says, all right, son, you're going to learn to swim. He just throws you in. Um, that's that's how I learned how to swim. And that's how my son has learned how to swim too. Um, and uh, that, I'm a swimmer as well. You can see all my swimming gear in the background here. So I I, I resonate with what you're saying here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so that's how I felt. I felt like that kid that just got thrown into the deep end of the pool and is trying to figure it out. I the, coming from the military and into the private sector and and seeing all of the technologies in action that you read about while you're studying was eye opening. Um, I remember the first time, so the way that it worked, Coalfire was great. I, I learned so much. And when I joined Coalfire, um, I was in a small SOC, um, SOC 2 practice um, where we focused on SOC 2 assessments. There was about nine of us. Um, when I left um, about uh, six months ago, uh, there was well over 100 of us. Um, and we were doing ISO 27001, HIPAA, High Trust, all of a bunch of different assessments. Um, so I was able to grow a lot. And when I first started, you know, we weren't as big as we were when I left. So there was time for me to onboard and take my time and learning the frameworks and things like that. So the team did a really good job of um, getting my feet wet and started, but you don't really know until you're sitting in front of a client. Um, and you, you look at the client and the client starts talking about something and you literally have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's when it hits you and you're like, okay, this is, this is different. Um, and that happened to me, I was in, I, I still remember it. I was in Denver, Colorado. Um, it was my first ever on-site with the client. I was with my boss, who I had never met in person um, because they, they hired me remotely. Um, he was based out of D.C. This is my first time ever meeting him, and we're, we're in the on-site, and they start to go deep into the cloud, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? I have no idea what's happening. Um, I don't know what they're talking about. And it just it was 
it was overwhelming. Um, I spent that entire night in my hotel researching um, virtual machines and researching, uh, I think it was Docker was what they were getting into, um, and just trying to figure out what was going on. Because coming from the Army, I had no clue about any of this stuff. Um, and it was... It was actually, it, it felt like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little weird because like when a challenge like that comes up and I feel like I'm drowning, my reaction is to get out of, not to get out of it to the point where I don't want to do it anymore, but to dive even deeper in and to mm -hmm. figure out more about it and say, you know what, by the time we go and have this conversation tomorrow, I'm going to be able to add value to the conversation. So I literally stayed up all night um, researching so that I could have add value the next day in the, in the interviews. Um, and when I realized that all it, would take to be successful in this field is just a little bit of self effort, like doing some extra studying on my own. Um, and, and that's when the, the gear started to turn and I'm like, Oh, I can actually um, do something really well here. And I think the turning point for me was AWS. Um, I looked around um, about a year into my, my time there at Coal Fire and I realized most of our customers were hosting on AWS. Um, but we didn't really have any AWS experts on the team. We didn't have anyone that really knew how to dive into the details of AWS and get into the security of, um, of setting things up and, and being compliant there. So um, I took that as an opportunity and something I encourage everybody to do as they're at companies or different organizations is look around and see where is the company going? Where is your organization going? What technology are they using? And if there's no experts around, it's a lot easier for some for a company to to bring you up as an expert than hire a third party expert. It's going to be cheaper for them, easier to onboard. It's going to save them a ton of time and money. So if you become an expert on the technology that the company's using or will use, you become really valuable. Um, and that's what happened to me. I, I, I learned about AWS, became extremely obsessed with it um, and started studying like crazy and producing um, training and documents and things for our clients that um, helped me become invaluable and then also helped forced me to remain sharp um, because when you become known as the AWS guy, you want to actually live up to that. Um, so now every time AWS drops a new service, I had to like study it and learn it, get my hands dirty to make sure that when a client asked me if they should use this service to meet a particular control, I actually knew what I was talking about. Um, but, you know, the feeling of uh, not knowing what's going on and that imposter syndrome was very real for me from the beginning at Coal Fire, especially leaving the military. I think it's a common feeling for people coming out of the military because you, you've known one way of life. Um, mm. Things have been kind of set for you career-wise and um, pay-wise and, and boss-wise. Everything was kind of locked in. Um, and then you get out into the civilian sector and now it's on you. There's no backstop. There's no government there that's going to guarantee that you're going to get paid on the 1st and the 15th. Um, and there's new technologies, there's new processes that you have to talk to people a little bit differently. That was one of the lessons I had to learn um, in the civilian world. You can't yell at people as much as you do in the military. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's, just a, it's just a lot of lessons and um, definitely some experiences that I think all military members feel when they first get out of not feeling like they know quite enough um, or, mm. or they're ready enough. And I think that's common and you just got to kind of push through that. How do you, um, I know we've spoken about this um, previously, so how, how do you uh, um, get through that imposter syndrome? Like not knowing, you know, you said you sat there, they were talking about Docker, you had no idea what Docker was. You think it may, maybe it's something you put your phone into, but you know, they're, they're talking about things you've got no idea. And then you go, you go back to your hotel and spend all night researching it. Yeah, that, you, your next day you're probably tired, but you know, how do you push through that imposter syndrome and, and feel like you actually are adding value? Um, and then the, the second point to that is, you know, you've 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 had that meeting, you realized cloud is where it's at. Then, you know, 
have you then gone back into the business and saying I'm your cloud guy, you know, and had the confidence to do that, especially being at Coal Fire? Um, yeah. Sorry, two questions in one. There. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, so the first one, uh, getting through imposter syndrome, I think at that moment is significantly different of how I get through it now, and I'll, I'll explain. At that moment, it, again, it's self-preservation. It's I, I need to learn this because at that point, um, I was I think two months out of the military. Um, and this is my first time in front of a client and this is my first job outside of the military. So I'm like, you have no choice. You better go learn this. Like I don't, whatever doctor is, go find out <laughs> and, and, and know a lot about it. So it was at that moment, it was self-preservation. And I think the way that you get through it, if you're in that phase is do what I did, like, go to Google and dive in and just learn. And the more, um, the more that you learn, the more confident you become, um, the more confident you, the, the more it's easier to talk about certain things because you know more about it. Um, and it's easier to feel comfortable because you're, you're knowledgeable. So um, we live in an era now where if you're a, if you like to read, you can read. If you like to watch videos, you can go to YouTube. There's so many ways to consume information. If you just want to have it in your ears while you're running, you can do that. So there's so many ways to consume information. Not knowing um, information is no longer a, a good excuse for imposter syndrome. Like if you, if you're feeling that way, you just got to go out and learn. Um, go out and do the research and do the reading and don't be afraid to also say, I don't know. I think that was the, the thing that I did the next morning was I told my boss, I was like, Hey man, I'm tired because I stayed up all night researching this. <laughs> um, and I think I know what's going on, but I'm pretty sure it might sound come out garbled if I say anything today um, because I'm mm -hmm. really tired. And he appreciated me telling him because he didn't even realize yesterday the day before that I didn't know what was going on he was just going he got into his flow and he was just you know um doing his thing with the client and, and he was like oh today I'll take some breaks and pause and make sure that you're still with us which made the that day so much better because all because I said I don't know um so really it's two things there with getting over it is being willing to say I don't know um and then two um go out and do the research you, you can't just say I don't know and then leave it alone like say I don't know and then go out and, and do something to to change why you don't know um and re, uh, ask the second question again, just so that I make sure it's it's uh, I got it. Uh, it was about so you, you've gone back into coal fire, and um, cloud is your thing. So you know what what was then you said to you said the coal fire. I wanted to be the cloud guy. How did you get the confidence to actually do that? Yeah, um, it was it was really less of I want to be the cloud guy as um, I the first the first thing that changed for me was learning about trusted advisors. Um, I realized that in Trusted Advisor on AWS, you can see a, a global view uh, across different resources on, on AWS. So like we evaluate security groups, obviously checking to make sure that you're protecting from outside sources. And, um, and before I realized what Trusted Advisor was and how it worked, we would just ask for screenshots. We would say, you go navigate to your EC2 console and grab some screenshots of your security groups, send them over to us. Not knowing that if they had resources in a different region, we didn't check the security groups in that region because we were only looking at the EC2 console for one region. So we weren't actually going as deep. So again, this went back to how I battle imposter syndrome, where if I think I'm doing something wrong and I need to do it a different way, I just start screaming about it. I'm like, hey, we are doing this wrong. And that's literally what happened. Like I, I was sitting there, I was going through some training and looking, and I was like, wait a second. And I went back and looked at how we were, I was like, uh-uh. Um, we need to change this. And I went and told, told people there um, and we immediately began to implement it. And then from there, it just became more and more things where I would go out and find something about AWS and I'd come back and share it with the team. And I think, I guess if there's a, a lesson there is 
share information. Um, a lot of people think, oh, I'm not an expert yet. I can't teach it. I was not an expert. Mm-hmm. I'm a advisor. But I knew that there was this one specific way that we could use the service. So I shared it with everybody. Got some more feedback from the team and, and figured out a way to use it. But when you learn something, um, it's important to share it, whether that's at your organization or even just um, socially, like on LinkedIn. Like if you're studying for a search, share what you're learning because at any time, there's probably thousands of people studying for the same cert that you're studying for, um, which your information that you share could help some um, and, and can definitely uh, assist them as they're, they're going through their stuff. So I think for me, the, the way that I became the guy was by educating. Um, after I shared Trusted Advisor, I found a few other services, and then I, I was able to lead a training for the team um, at our annual team training event. Um, and then began to also get – I started – I asked to work on AWS clients on them. I was like, hey, let me work on AWS clients so that I can figure out better ways for us to do this. Um, and luckily, I worked at an organization and, and had leadership that supported me and allowed me to kind of grow and gave me the freedom to feel like I can experiment. That's the other thing is you, if, if you're at an organization that, or if you're in a leadership position, you have to let people try things and you have to be willing to let them fail. Um, there was things I tried with clients and things I asked clients to do on AWS that they weren't going to do. Um, but my bosses let me fail. Um, they let me go out there and try it, and the client said no, and we knew why they said no and dove into it. But um, that's important. I think having that environment and that culture as well helps you to go from um, you know a low, lower-level employee to being an expert by having that culture where it's free to create and free to innovate. Mm. And I, I think just going back to what you said there about um, kind of sharing uh, information, uh, especially if you're not necessarily – already an expert in it. I think that's what people tend to be afraid of, isn't it? Where, um, and certainly from, I always feel like there's a there's several elements to potential imposter syndrome. It's that if you recognize a gap in your own knowledge and you think, okay, well, I need to go and, and really read up on that and, and really learn and, and develop myself. And you feel yourself that you have this imposter syndrome that, okay, maybe I'm not good enough in this bit, but you've recognized it and you can go away and explore it. But then I, I really feel that what you said is, is very powerful um, to encourage people to share information because putting something out there, I always feel, I felt it myself, right? In, in the technical space of reverse engineering malware, I feel like if I put a blog post or a video or whatever out on the internet, I think someone is going to think, well, didn't you, didn't you already know that? Why are you telling me about this? You know, are you, you know, and you haven't explained it right. So what, you know, and it's like, it's that fear of the unknown. And I think actually, you know, the more people that do this in the industry and share their journeys and share their learnings, that the people, like you said, there are thousands of people in the same position that will really benefit from that information. So, and it's something I see you do very, very well as well. So. Yeah, I think we, Cybersecurity naturally feels like an overly critical field <laughs> where you think, you know, you're going to post something that people are just going to come in and be like, oh, that's wrong. No, no, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And I feel the same way every time I'm, I'm about to post, but I try to remember that it's not about me. I'm, I may be helping someone else out. And if it's just one person that I help, I think that's, that's worth it. Um, mm. to how do, you, how do you deal with the people that do challenge you though that i mean you must i mean you get there's a lot of positivity around the stuff that you post quite rightly because it's it's usually very insightful from what i've seen um but you know do you get like the maybe the comments or the messages in the background which are are, are a little less a little less positive maybe a bit more challenging towards you how do you kind of deal with that yeah, um, definitely get those messages. Um, luckily, they've <laughs> stayed in the DMs on LinkedIn. Um, 
but uh, we'll see if they ever populate in the comments. But you know, I I learned um, to, that empathy is just so important, and understanding that whatever perspective this person is coming at from on this particular topic, it's based off of their own experiences and their own perspective. So I can't necessarily say that they're wrong um, mm. because I don't know what lens they're looking through life in. And we all have our own lenses that we're looking through our life in. So like, I, we all can look at the same picture and come up with three different conclusions. Um, doesn't mean that either one of us are wrong. It just means that we're looking at it through our lens. So I try to remind myself that um, I learned a lesson in the military where we, uh, if we were disciplined someone, we had to document it on a counseling form um, called the EA4856. That's insane that I remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, like, as soon as I said counseling form, that number populated in my head. Nice. The brain is crazy. Um, but my boss had a boss that told me never write a counseling statement. He was like, write your counseling statement when you're in the moment so you don't forget what happened but don't actually send it or, or do the counseling with the soldier until the next morning um, because it gives you so much more clarity because in the moment, there's a little bit of that emotional response. Like, Oh, mm. you're telling me I'm wrong. Oh, let me, and there's, even if you don't want to have a negative tone, even if you don't want to be like abrasive, you're still going to come off a little bit abrasive. So yeah. a lot of times I'll see the message and I'll say, okay. Um, and I'll, and I'll just let it sit and I'll, and I'll wait for a little bit to respond. Um, and then mm. by the time I come back to respond, my mind's so much clearer. I can go in like actually have some empathy and, and take that um, take that pause. In the military, um, when we were training, we used to call it a tactical pause. Um, when you're when you're in a battle, you take this tactical pause um, right before something's about to happen, and um, that's kind of what I do too when it comes to a leadership perspective or just interacting with people. Is um, you have to know when to take those tactical pauses, um, whether that's to protect yourself or protect someone else. If someone's emotionally charged about something, I've learned to you know, let that conversation go ahead and die. Let it end. Um, because they're going to be right. If you, you know, sometimes you're talking to someone and they're so emotionally charged about something, no matter what you say, if you're like, hey man, your shirt's blue. And I'm like, no, 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 my shirt is red. You're looking at it blue and I'm so angry. There's nothing that you can say to convince me. So it's best just to end it there. Let them have that tactical pause and then come back and have the conversation. So mm. um, it's, it's all about empathy and, and knowing yourself. And I know that I can get emotionally charged up. So I, I protect myself by not responding in the moment. I guess that's where your meditation no doubt helps you as well. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So yeah. from, you know, in, in your background from, uh, from going through college and university and joining Cold Flyer uh, to where you are now, um, pretty much having five jobs. Um, <laughs> do you, do you see any big challenges within the industry? Um, either you know through uh, racism or you know um uh, you know misogyny anything like that is there anything that you've come across you know getting into the industry that you'd like to share yeah i think um we don't do a great job and i don't know if it's just cybersecurity, but um there needs to be more women in cybersecurity, um and and women's voices need to be respected in in cybersecurity as well because they're they're talented um one there's not a talent problem or a pipeline problem with women in this field there's there's a lot of them um, that are successful talented and, and should be in high positions but if you look at the stats across leadership or CISOs out there you don't see a lot of women and i think that's um because we've we've, we've kind of guarded the industry we've guarded leadership positions um and it's kind of a good old boys club so i and i've and i've seen also just being 
the nature of being a, a consultant, which I think is really cool, is you end up in a lot of conference rooms for a lot of different companies. And you see a lot of different ways people interact. You see a lot of different leadership styles. Um, and you see how people are treated. And one consistent thing is that um, women are oftentimes not heard. Um, they'll speak, people will listen to them, but the thoughts or the ideas or the um, suggestions are oftentimes not heard um, from everybody in the room. And I think uh, the important thing that we can do in those moments is, is, is elevate it. If, if someone, if you're in a room and there's a woman in there that, you know, suggests, or it really if anybody, is it suggests something that is a good idea, but for whatever reason, because of their race, because of their gender, um, it's not heard, you know, you have to say something and say, hey, well, uh, Sherry just said the same thing and it was a really great idea and I think we should, we should take a look at it. So I think that's one thing that we can, we can do better in cybersecurity. And then, uh, of, of course, diversity. Um, we need, there's, there's this idea that there's this talent shortage, there's 3 million jobs that are going to be unfilled in cybersecurity, I think, by 2022 or, or whatever the, the date is. Um, and I don't think we can fill that 3 million job shortage by not being diverse by not mm. finding talent from all different walks of life and all people that look differently, people that came from different backgrounds, um, we have to become more diverse. And again, it's not a pipeline problem. Um, it's a matter of us actively, hiring managers actively looking to build a diverse culture. And it takes, it takes effort um, because it's a lot easier to go internally and say, hey, we're hiring, do you know anybody? Um, and what happens is everybody goes to the same cultures where everybody looks like themselves. So if you have a, a culture of 15 um, white guys from Kansas in your office and you go and say, hey, 15 white guys from Kansas, um, go find me somebody that needs to get hired. They, they probably have a lot of white guy friends from Kansas um, because they live in Kansas. Um, so you have to do a little bit more work than just ask your, ask your internal employees to find people that also look like them. Um, and I think the, the thing that we can do in the industry um, and with where the world is right now um, is to be the leaders in this space. Um, there's, there's jobs to fill um, and there's a lot of people that are going out there trying to train people. So why not help solve two problems at once? Help um, A lot of the social problems are, are economic problems. Um, and if you can get people to to, to solve some of their economic problems and, and have gainful employment and, and have careers, um, which I think cybersecurity is a great field to be in. Um, a lot of the social problems get, um, will, will, will begin to improve. Um, so I think we, we have a duty to not only fix the talent shortage in cybersecurity, but also fix it by diversifying cybersecurity um, mm -hmm. and making sure that we have a, a diverse range of voices in the industry. I, I also think, I mean, personally, I, I also think that, um, a lot of times I don't really feel like we have a talent shortage. I think the talent is out there, but yeah. necessarily I think businesses are, are looking for the wrong talent. I mean, what I mean is they're describing the talents in the wrong way. Like I think we've spoken about it here and, and also quite a few other episodes of this show is that there's so many transferable skills. If you said, oh, you're great at stakeholder management, you're great at communication skills and you're great at leadership. Well, guess what? There are so many roles here within information security that you can come and explore, but we don't brand a role as that, you know, and there's so many people from so many diverse backgrounds and diverse uh, cultures and ranges of experiences that just don't 
you know, there's an education piece there to say that we, we, you know, we need to break down these barriers of you have to be technical, you have to know about this, you have to know about that. Um, I, I honestly feel like if we if we help to educate or, or boil down what those core values are that we're looking for that make you successful within this industry, and it's part of the reason why we're actually doing this podcast is to is to kind of explore what those um, tran uh, transferable skills are, so people can say, oh, do you know what? It's actually really cool to listen to these people speak about information security. Uh, how they started and actually where they started from was not information security right they started with some some, some of these basic skill sets that i could you know, that i might have as well so yeah, yeah. no I, I totally agree as well um so you know kind of closing up the podcast uh, you know so going from being a basketball player right to where you are now on secret projects the, on <laughs> every single advisory board in in the miami you know you know Give our listeners the the top two, three, five tips on how how you get there. Um, the number one tip would be other people. Uh, I there's nothing that I've been able to accomplish in my life without other people, um, whether that's friends, mentors, um, my family. Um, someone had to help lift me up to to be able to achieve something and. Um, relationships that I've built um, over the course of from from basketball relationships through military relationships to um, my private relationships now outside the military and in the in cybersecurity world um, are the reasons why um, I think I've been able to, to have a little bit of success but also why I'm, I'm confident in, in my future um, is because of the relationships I built so I think um, the number one thing is build relationships cultivate those relationships um, check in on people. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do is is pick up the phone and, and call someone. Um, it's easy just to text and say, how are you doing? But I've been trying to call people because we need that interaction. We've all been home for a very long time. Um, and every time I talk to someone on the phone, it just makes me feel better. Um, I feel like I actually reconnected with someone. So I would say people is the, is the number one thing. Um, number two is don't tell yourself no. Um, a lot of things that I've done in my life have been because I decided that, yeah, I probably am not going to be able to do this, but let's just give it a shot and see. Um, and because I didn't tell myself no, um, I was able to, to, to get it done um, and, and to get through it. So um, a lot of times people will look at a job description or look at a cert and read the, the guide for it or look at a, a project that their employer is asking them to work on. They're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. It's like, you know, just sometimes you got to shoot your shot. You got to try. Um, you got to go for it. And, and you can't tell yourself, no, you can't be that little, don't let that little no voice in your head be the reason why you don't do something. Um, and then lastly, uh, a core value of mine um, is not to take myself too seriously. Um, so, you know, and that helps me with imposter syndrome. That helps me with every aspect of life. And my kids help me a lot there because whenever I feel like I'm taking myself too seriously, I just go and, um, I do this game, <laughs> it's pretty funny, you, you guys should try it, where if I'm really stressed about something, whether work-wise or anything else, I go and I try to have a conversation with my son about it, who's four years old. <laughs> and obviously he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> he, does, he does not care at all, and, and it doesn't matter to him. But what does matter is maybe coloring or going running or swimming or whatever it is that he wants to do. And that allows me just to get back and remember what's important. Um, and it's, it's it, you just... If you don't take yourself too seriously, the, the failures won't, won't hurt you as much. Um, the successes you won't get too high on. Um, and you'll know that it's just all a part of, um, of, the, of really the flow of life. Um, so 
Um, it's something that I try to keep in mind and, and helps me out a ton. Um, and, and really all aspects is just to um, stay kind of light with, with everything and, and realize that, um, you, you know, if we're lucky enough, you're going to wake up tomorrow and get to try again. Um, and, and that's all that you can really ask for. Amazing. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, I think, you know, you've shared, I, it's, I'm so grateful for the time you've taken, AJ, to, to share your insights. It's been really insightful, inspiring. Uh, personally to listening to you um, I think not only listening to your background um, and learning about your skills your capabilities and also your focus and mindset um, but the way you articulate um, you know these these really um, tricky concepts that people have have um, a hard time dealing with in the industry um, talking about you know imposter syndrome and, and also growth development etc I think is really inspiring so uh, I've definitely taken a lot and I, I dare say our listeners will as well. So again, thank you for taking the time to share that with us today. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on and you know, hopefully we get to do this again when I can tell you guys more about the secret project. Yeah, no, that's definitely part two, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Cool.